Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. We're going to do this. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Sarah. How is it going? It's going pretty darn good. We changed the hours at the museum. We're back to, well, appointment only. Again. We changed them again. But it's awesome to see some people by appointment. That's been super cool for the one day that we've had that so far. It is wonderful that people are working us back into their schedule and being flexible around COVID. People must be wondering, why is this podcast all about us? Rebecca, Sarah, Sarah, Rebecca, Rebecca, Sarah, Sarah, Rebecca. There are other voices at the museum. But we've been down one. And not in a good way. Not like we're down with that down one. We're just... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we had a staff member leave for a new opportunity. When was that? At the end of October. We've been it, running two months now. It was only the end of October? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Welcome to November and December trauma. Well, people, I don't think, realize that we have, what, a uh, regularly only three full-time staff members here yes and then we've got the extra two part-time folks that they'd see when they do come in only three full-time people doing all of the amazing things that we do which blows my mind how much we actually get done in a day so when we lost our archivist audra to a wonderful opportunity for her it was this whole in our work life, in our in our museum family. In November and December, we worked really hard to find a new human. We did, and tears were shed when Audra left. Let me tell you, there was there was sadness. But we went through the hiring process and we did find a new human, and we are going to introduce that human, aren't we, Sarah? Yes. So our podcast today is all about meeting. Drum roll. Erin McBrien. Fireworks. Erin, I am so excited to welcome you to the Anoka County Historical Society as our new archivist and curator. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm very, very excited. It was such a fun process getting to know you out of all of our applicants and finding the right fit to to help us move things forward with the collections processing. I have to admit it, it was definitely um, one of the nicer uh, application processes that I went through this year and I went through a lot of them. <laughs> you mean we weren't your first choice? <laughs> I graduated in May. I applied to a lot of places before it showed up in October. <laughs> And you graduated from Syracuse, yes? Yeah, uh, Syracuse University was my master's for uh, Master's of Library and Information Science. I'm guessing that there are a ton of famous celebrity archivists out there that just led you to the field, right? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I, I, kind of, I kind of fell, fell into this weirdly uh very um like a like a pinball uh in a pinball machine <laughs> no bruises though <laughs> no no bruises so tell me more about your journey um 
Well, I went into my undergrad education thinking that I wanted to have something to do with publishing. Um, I've always enjoyed writing and art, so I pursued English. Uh, I pursued the, pursued the writing track and the publishing certificate. Uh, I interned as an editor and a um, typesetter uh, at a small press in the Iowa City area. And uh, I actually got up to my senior year kind of lackluster about it. And I took the very, very new Publishing One class and it totally turned me off the whole thing, <laughs> uh, specifically because there was a particularly um, <laughs> a particular guest speaker who seemed to have very uh, interesting and divisive opinions on who really should be allowed to read, and. I got so angry. I just couldn't take it. It was this it was just this very like privileged idea of like who are readers? Like who do we like really write books for? And I was just like you seem to be under the impression there's like one type of book and one type of reader and they're the only people worth marketing to and thus they're the only people who are worthy to read and it just made me very angry um, <laughs> and uh, I just thought to myself I can't do this like like I can't even if this guy's an outlier I don't think I can do this uh, it's it's not enough for me and at the same time I was interning with a nonprofit that uh worked in the community to provide uh, children's writing classes, uh, children teenage writing classes. And I really loved it. It was wonderful work. And I thought, I want to do something like this. Like, I actually want to, I actually want to do something that benefits a community uh, rather than just pumping out books, uh, no matter whether they're helpful or useful or good or not and I I don't know and there are some publishers that don't do that but I just I just had a very bad taste after that class how does the experience of feeling that anxiety or that level of reaction to funneling an opinion down to one boilerplate translate into the history center you know on a, a local level I don't know if I entirely understand your question. <laughs> That's valid. The experience of a narrow view of one oh, topic. I see. Yeah. How does that translate into community history, which very often comes across as narrow? Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I have always not been particularly fond of like boiling down to one narrow viewpoint, even when I do it myself. So the fact that like when I was, um, when I did initially see the listing for the archivist for, for the historical society, and I looked into the website, I, I loved the fact that there, there did uh, appear to be this like very open, concentrated effort to broaden the voices held within and treasured by and promoted by the historical society. And 
I, I really liked that. It really spoke to me. And I thought, I really want to see if I can do this. Like, and I really want to see if I can be a part of this and if I can be like the person stewarding how that voice is cultivated within the collection. Because it's, there's so much that can be brought forward in the collection. Like it really speaks to whose stories are valued and whose stories are treasured. And the fact that there, there was this, this big push, this big open like call for anyone's stories and specifically like stories that have been underrepresented or undervalued and uh, stories that didn't just happen hundreds of years ago, but that are happening today. And really this understanding that we collect the present when we know things are significant, and even when we don't know things are significant, so that we can show people in the future how valuable like we are and how valuable the people before us are and how valuable the people in the future are and that we want them to to learn and understand from us and be better because of us. And I, I just really, I really liked it. I, I really liked how, how you can have what is really a very like small, like physical location uh, of like just one county or just one town or just one state or et cetera uh, in the grand scope of things. But there's still this like amazing multiplicity of people and experiences within like a very small location. And you can, you can really show people like that multiplicity. And there, there's often, cause I didn't grow up in a small town, but I grew up in kind of a small community within that town. And there was very much this like um, idea that was uh perpetuated by by how people talked about it that there was only like one kind of person in that community and that wasn't true and so i think the historical society is this amazing opportunity to actively like show people that there are lots of different people in this community and like lots of different stories in this community and they're all valuable and they all come together to make the one larger unified story of Anoka County. And that's really, really appealing to me. And I, I, uh, I don't know, it's, it's this kind of um, interesting coming together of many different things I've uh, worked on and studied uh, the past few years. And I, I think that's really amazing. No, I love that. And I love how over the last couple of years we've been talking about community as the county but we've also defined communities that people are a part of and how small the communities can be from families and churches and red hat clubs and book clubs and all the way up to the county level community and and beyond into a national community as well so how do you find your experiences in the the communities that you've been a part of over the years coming in and and helping us identify the items that we need to preserve well 
definitely like on a on like a professional level like I've been part of communities with education and nonprofits and uh and public libraries and especially with the public library like you kind of inadvertently end up gathering stories in the community like just in your brain and among the other librarians and you you really kind of become uh, an information hub all on your own and that's very interesting um i got kind of derailed uh no you're right that institutional memory yeah. is huge it is it is you even just the volunteers that stop in or the the public that stops in in order to help them research who grandma was or where they're buried people inevitably spend 15 minutes talking about how grandma got to be and and you pull in all that ancillary information into the context of what we're doing yeah that's definitely true this like human communication network is very fascinating to me and it's like you have this fine line of um using that kind of shared information to help others and then also respecting the privacy of the person who confided in you uh, I know that's that's a very big thing at the public library. I don't quite know the intersection with um, like the historical society since so many of the artifacts and the stories going along with it are brought specifically to share that information with the larger public. And like that's really that's really beautiful and that's really wonderful how how people are willing to, share different stories of their lives and their families' lives uh, and the lives of their community with other people. Uh, But, (laughs) shush. Um, (laughs) That's a tortie, right? Uh, A tortie? Tortie's a tortoise shell. They're notoriously noisy. Oh, yeah, he might. I mean, he's kind of a like a gray tiger top with like a white belly and paws. Oh, yeah. We're suckers for cats. I love cats, too. Um, I love your point about the trust factor of the, the public giving this story and providing access for the future and how that that gift is is so memorable and yeah and i think that honestly gets gets negated i think on a day-to-day yeah. basis the level of gift that that actually is i mean it's really wonderful like uh to know that people are are willingly bringing in the often the the things they really cherish in the ring the things they're really proud of and the things they feel are really important that really need to be passed on to other people into the future like that's a wonderful thing and i'm i'm really excited to be able to be a part of that and to be able to be um one of the people who is uh bringing in new stories and new experiences to be like preserved and treasured for the future and for the present, like, it's just really amazing. So I'm very excited about that. But then there's also this uh, 
this idea to this not idea this this fact to be aware of that like there may be things told to me uh or me and the rest of the historical society in confidence uh that won't necessarily go in that story like that's i mean that i'm sure that happens and like it's just one of the facts of being in an information field and like the historical society is many things but i think it's also part of an, uh, an information field um where sometimes the information you end up uh, accumulating personally shouldn't be accumulated for everyone. Um, and I, I've had experiences with that um, in public libraries where, uh, like I worked in a public library in a very small town and uh, some of the older uh, library staff didn't, quite understand that if they uh learned something about someone else in town they shouldn't tell it to everyone uh because sometimes you know people put books on hold at the library and all of a sudden you know something about them uh that maybe everyone in town shouldn't know uh like illnesses or uh relationship problems or anything else you can think of that you can put on hold at the library. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's something to keep in mind when gathering stories that sometimes people are going to tell you things, uh, which, you know, shouldn't go on the record. <laughs> so it's yeah. an interesting place um, where we, we try to communicate to people that they're in control of their legacy yeah, and exactly. that history is really a personal judgment about what you want preserved, and it's not journalism. Yeah. It's not the truth telling. It's not the voyeurism from the public. It's not um, the the tell all. Yeah, it, this is really a place to preserve a legacy that you choose how you are viewed, and so that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, the, the exactly. safety. Yeah, that safety network that we have. I think that's really important too. Like, like it's, it's really important to, to let people understand, like, you don't have to tell everything. Like you, you can tell the history that you want to. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a tell all that, that is really, I think really important. I think, especially with, um, I mean, I, I grew up with the rise of social media. Uh, a lot of, people who are my contemporaries, I grew up watching them learn uh, that not everything has to be a tell-all. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been an interesting experience um, to, I think it's, it's an interesting understanding that you can tell everyone everything, but you don't have to. So when we're talking about adding more stories to the collection, when you've just made a a headlong leap into the thousands that we already have. Um, How's your anxiety level (laughs) feeling right now? Uh, It's not too bad uh, with most things Uh, with, with anything where I look at it and I think to myself, like I personally am going to have to like, like reorganize that. 
uh, with things that were uh, we we dis- we've discussed this a couple times, but but things that were in the collection before uh, the previous archivist uh, Audra came in and did a total overhaul of the numbering. Uh, really amazing work. Oh my gosh. Like I'm going in and I'm like, oh, thank goodness I have training videos. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know where I would be without that. Um, <laughs> so I'm really, I mean, I'm very grateful to be inheriting all of that work. Uh, but then, I mean, it, it would be impossible uh, to, to renumber every old object uh, of the previous system uh, in the last five years while doing new things at the same time. There's an amazing uh, amount of work that's already been done, but uh, there's still quite a bit left to do. And so I look at that and that is kind of overwhelming where I'm like, how, how do I find that? How do I find that in the collection? How do I find that the information on that, it, it's not quite the same as like saying, uh, uh, seeing the donations um, in the lab where I'm like, okay, that's a lot. That's a big backlog. But I, I have an idea on how to plan that and how to input that. And the system is there. And uh, collective access, I have to say, is definitely um, the most what's the word I'm looking for? Intuitive. Uh, It's definitely the most intuitive, like cataloging software I've ever seen and personally used. Um, Others I've used have have not been so clear on uh, how exactly you're supposed to do anything with them. Uh, And it it was more more of a learning curve. So when I actually got to log on to collective access and uh, watch the training videos and and they went together uh, and it, w- it was fairly easy to see oh that's where that goes awesome <laughs> so the the new donations and the incoming artifacts I'm fairly confident about I'm like okay I can make a system with that uh, I can organize that that'll be okay uh, the older numbering systems though the the artifacts left over with those are, are definitely more daunting. <laughs> and that too, we shall conquer one day. Oh yeah, at some point. <laughs> it's on the list. Yeah. Everything's on the list. <laughs> uh, Aaron, I'm so excited to have you on board. And I know that people are going to want to stop in and see you or send you emails and get to know you and tell you their stories. And we certainly welcome that. And uh, until then, when we can open up and actually have some face-to-face, um, you're available by email. Yep. So that's Erin at anokacountyhistory.org. So her inbox is, I think she's only got three emails in there right now because she's keeping up on things. So fill it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very excited to see what donation, new donations come in and uh, what what people would like to put into the uh, the collection. I, I really look forward to, to taking a look at those. That's brilliant. Thanks again, Aaron. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Coble, and I am a librarian at the Northtown Library in Anoka County. So the first book I have is called Curators, Behind the Scenes of Natural History Museums by Lance Brand. The author is a longtime curator who has done most of his work at the Chicago Field Museum. In the book, Grand discusses how natural history museums have evolved into educational centers, as well as how they play an instrumental role in scientific work. The next um, book that I have here is called Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books bound in human skin by Megan Rosenblum. So swinging the spotlight onto a macabre type of archived material, Megan Rosenblum's book focuses on the preservation and history of books bound in human skin. And while the thought probably mostly evokes images of evil dead for most people, um, this binding process was not all that rare for medical and anatomy texts a long time ago. Um, still, it's strange and gruesome, and they do require special care. <laughs> The next book is Bibliotech, Why Libraries Matter More Than Ever in the Age of Google by John Palfrey. Um, this book may be useful for those thinking of pursuing a career in museums or archives as well as libraries. Last but not least, I wanted to throw in a fun fiction book, um, the book Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwood. Um, came out last year and just had a sequel released this year that I haven't gotten to read yet. But the protagonist, Claire, is the head librarian of the unwritten wing of Hell's Library, where all books unfinished by their creators are held. Claire spends most of her time organizing and repairing books here. But on occasion, these unruly titles gain a mind of their own, and they walk right off their shelves. It is one of the best fantasy books that I read last year, and I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for listening in, and I will see you next time. Happy reading. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. It was so much fun getting to know Erin a little better on that Zoom call. Yes, and she even brings her own cat hair to the museum. She has two cats of her own joining our cat family. I have one, and you have how many, Rebecca? Seven? <laughs> what was that? I couldn't quite make out that number. <laughs> There's five outside and two inside. Okay, okay. And, and the two inside are probably big enough to qualify for three of the outside cats. Erin so. <laughs> was coming in, and we didn't just throw her in a room and close the door. <laughs> well, we kind of did, but we left her with a bunch of videos that Audra had done of the process. So she had plenty of entertainment to keep her busy while she was locked in the room. What are these videos? Well, I'm glad you asked, Sarah. Oh, oh. Part of the joy of running a museum is doing succession planning. And when one person leaves, you have to have a plan in place so that the next person doesn't feel completely overwhelmed. Slightly overwhelmed is okay, but completely overwhelmed is bad. So the goal is to have each position have enough information just sitting there in the bank that someone could walk in and take over the position. And we didn't have that for the archivist curator position when Audra left. So Audra was kind enough to sit for many hours and record herself doing her job. And that left so much material for Erin to go over and work with and get to know the job. Um, she can do that as many times as she needs to.
I know for the past week, she was working remotely from home and just going over all of those videos and planning and creating her plan of that what she wanted to tackle first, which has made the past couple of days that she has actually been in the museum a bit exhausting. She has just been going at like 60 miles an hour being like, I got this. I've been planning all week. And I'm so excited to see uh, all the things that she's already tackled. Yeah, we're one of the things that I know was at top of her list was transforming the back area into more of a lab space so that it's a functional area to work on S sessions and um, processing artifacts that are coming in and, and really creating a functional workspace. And there's concrete in the floor back there. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. You can what, see maybe, so much more of it now. Maybe what you didn't know and I'll post a picture of this on our Facebook, is that when they were laying the concrete for this building, which was the old city library, a sole leaf from a tree fell down into the wet cement and created a little fossil of itself. And so that's my favorite thing about that room, the little leaf fossil in the lab. Quiet things who leave their imprint in this world. And now Erin knows where it is, too. And she's making sure that it, it remains free so we can always see the leaf. <laughs> it's been really fun to have her get started. And we'll be hearing her voice more often on the podcast, too. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about the Sarah Rebecca show all the time now. We should have an, an update episode just with Erin in a couple of months so she can give us an update on how she felt diving into the job. So look forward to that. <laughs> we'll keep you posted, people. Thanks for tuning in. See you, everybody. If you have a question or you would like to share your own story with us, you can find us at anokacountyhistory.org. We are all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all who scroll by. For our members and donors, you can find special access to podcast extras, as well as the latest digital resources at our vault located on the website. History 21 is a production of the Anoka County Historical Society. Remember, the present is the past of the future.